Hey guys, you like science? You like learning? We can't cover everything on this podcast, certainly not as in-depth as I'd like to all of the time. Well, here's an important topic you need to know about. Water. Do you have it? Are you drinking it? Where is it coming from? All sorts of important questions you need to know. There is now the new Waterline podcast, which is an initiative of the Israel New Tech, a part of the Israeli Ministry of Economy and Industry. Waterline podcast aims to bring the latest scientific advances in technological solutions while exploring economic models and identifying key players in the global effort to secure water sources, create efficient water usage, and make water safe for everyone. I just checked out a really cool, interesting episode called Want Not, Waste Not, Wastewater. It's all about what happens to your wastewater. It's going to waste a lot of times, but does it need to? Absolutely not. What happens to all that discarded wastewater? Once treated, it has uh, economic and ecological value that can even drive nation's economies. It could even light up your house. How? Find out on that episode of the Waterline Podcast. Search Waterline Podcast on iTunes or in your Android podcast app. Very exciting new episode, everybody. One thing we've been talking about, Ramin Nazer and I, who does all the website stuff for the Here We Are podcast, and my new business partner, Fanny Cohen of Fanny Co. They are a one-stop service, all-inclusive production company. They're small. It's just three people. I've been talking with them for a long time. You know, going back and forth, obviously, I've shared with you, I was nervous about kind of going with any kind of a network. I was nervous about um, sponsors. I don't want anything negatively influencing this show or biasing my judgment. And I have mixed feelings about uh, money and turning this this passion project of mine into work uh, because I don't like work, but I do love passion projects. But I I want to take this podcast to the next level. And so we are now going to do sponsors like this. I'm getting some new equipment from Shure, S-H-U-R-E. They make all sorts of wonderful microphones. I'm going to talk about that in a second. But one of the things that we've been talking about doing is putting like a little kind of sticker on the on on the herewearepodcast.com website where it'll be like audience favorites. Maybe I'll have you guys do some sort of survey or something like that. And so when people are just discovering the episode for the first time, they can kind of find the ones that are that are the more popular um, ones, good ones to start out with that represent the podcast well. This episode today, I believe, will uh, will get that status um, if we pull the trigger on that. So um, so stay tuned. This is going to be. Um, this is a really, really fun one. Um, and I've been, you may have noticed that the, that the quality of the, the sound quality of the podcast has been um, continuing to get better and better. And it will now. I'm already the live ones. Um, we already, Fanny's on top of making sure that, um, that the, the venue's set up correctly and I have the correct chords and all this stuff that I just don't know enough about probably isn't that 
that difficult to learn, but I just simply can't, it's, it's just not my, <laughs> my forte, some of the, the technical sides of things. And so now we're having professionals take that over. So increased, better sound. Um, I've, I've used short microphones through the whole um, podcast from the very beginning. The first ones that I started out with, which I actually don't recommend for like beginners they're they're exceptionally um i i was when i first started this podcast i'm like money is no object i'm gonna get the best microphones possible i got these shore sm 7b microphones these amazing quality um like tabletop microphones they were a lot to lug around and they were so good in fact that someone would take their face away from the microphone and then all of a sudden it sounds like they're down the hall and and so that was a lot of the audio issues um there's things that we've done to remedy it now i i try to i keep on forgetting because i'm new to doing it i got to build this new habit of having my guests wear headphones so they hear when they're they're doing that little things like that that i've learned along the way i'm telling you guys this because i always talk to people that want to start their own podcast and um i get this after shows all the time where people are like i've always wanted to do stand-up comedy but i don't know i'm not ready i don't know how to get started and those are just excuses that you make for i'm always like give it a shot go to an open mic check it out give it a try same thing with podcasting i've done podcasts with very i had a double date podcast with me and my ex-girlfriend and um loved doing it it wasn't it wasn't like crazy popular this this podcast has been um the uh has been pretty successful um but you know it's been fortunately i had that experience under my belt already and i i did I did. This is like maybe the best reason to start a podcast. I had this podcast called The Riff Board with my roommate at the time, Dave Waite, who's one of the funniest people I've ever met in my life. And when we were sitting around, anytime he'd say something funny, I would just write it down. And then I'd basically ask him about it um, on the podcast. We didn't even, it was, we weren't about like trying to build a big audience. I didn't even say that it was me, but it was like a running joke that, um, that was like a kind of a, uh, Mr. Wilson thing or whatever from Home Improvement where um, where no one would know who the host was even though everyone actually knew. Um, but we didn't get any listeners. Like no one listened to it and it was still the most fun that I would have all week. And so like why not? This is what I love about podcasting is that you can, if you're into like doing you know if you're into like cars you can start a podcast about working uh, the car that you're working on i mean there's there's like so many different i've used this example before um there's so many different board game podcasts out there i'm into board games i actually don't really listen to podcasts much myself but i just think that's exciting for both artists that they're able to talk about what they're interested in like myself um where i wouldn't be able to express this on morning radio all of these cool um science ideas and whatnot so the industry has changed so you guys can find your little niche and the things that you're into so if it's something that you're thinking about um sure has these amazing new um they're sending me them i I went i checked them out at a at a music store already and but i'm excited to use them they're these little um motive m-o-t-i-v microphones that plug right into your phone and then there's like an app that you can download and does all the editing and everything for you and it's just a really very 
easy way to record um, a high quality podcast for cheap. They're all under $200. There's these little, I saw this one that I want to get just for like in my car. I'm always ranting to myself. I have like a voice memo thing on my phone and it sucks. Like I could never, I could never release it. I just use it for personal use. Um, But there's these little, um, check out these MV 88s. They like fit in your pocket. Um, and you can impromptu record anytime that you want. I think I might be doing some stuff in the future where where if I'm able to have one of these on me all the time, the setup that I use, I can't just like carry around with me everywhere. Um, but if I have these things, um, sometimes I see behavior that reminds me of a study. Um, and I want to like just go up and I, I do this regularly. I like ask people why um, they, uh, why they uh, you know, purchased this thing or responded to a certain element in the environment. I don't phrase it like that, but that's like what I'm trying to get apart. Why people consciously think they did things and why kind of the things that we've learned, the nuances that prime our, our consciousness is often hidden from us. And so I thought that would be kind of a cool impromptu way of maybe capturing that sometimes, maybe putting it, releasing little things like that on, on the um, Patreon uh, page for Patreon subscribers. So they get a little something, uh, something extra. And so um, this is uh, right now I'm using. So after I, after I kind of downgraded um from the sm7b those are like 400 hundred dollar microphones so you know it's kind of a big investment for me to get and then i had to you know get the wires and the stands and all that good stuff and it's heavy to lug around and all that i've been using what i'm recording on right now let me take a look so i remember they didn't send me this this is just the microphones that i use um is the shore SM58, um, which has done very well for me. Oh, I keep on forgetting to put... Here's another thing. I keep on forgetting to put these little uh, windscreens. They're like just a couple dollars on the microphones, so there's not like a... That uh, hurts people's ears and um, is annoying. And I, uh, a lot of times, my guests don't know how to use microphones properly. They often are using lavaliers, the little small little clip-on microphones, um, and so they're just not used to using handheld ones or these studio quality ones where you have to be like making out with the thing, and it kind of makes people uncomfortable. And so there's. Uh, you know, figure out what you need for you, and you probably don't need to spend nearly as much as I did when I started. And a really good low-risk way is to get one of these motive mics. I think they're uh, there. There's like lavaliers that you can plug into your phone that are like seventy bucks. I'm I'm curious to see um, how good that they're they're going to be sending me one of those, and that because that's an amazing price. Uh, it's it's i i have no i think it's like can be close to a thousand dollars for like the kind of lavaliers that i'm using for my documentary um so you know there's ways to to get these simple mobile things from shore s-h-u-r-e and you can go to shore.com and slash motive m-o-t-i-v to check out the the line they have ones that look like kind of the Old, those big like old timey things and then um uh, that um uh i don't know how to describe it just look for yourself but it has uh the, all these different modes so you can have like one for guitar one for voice and all, all these um one for for podcasting you know and 
so it just makes it really easy to get started and you can always upgrade if if you feel that necessary with with the way that things are advancing it's um it's getting cheaper and cheaper these days so why not maybe you just want to like have something that you and your friends and family can hear and and who knows maybe they'll spread it around and be entertained and and uh i mean for me i can't just go and email um professors and be like hey will you come and have a lunch with me but I can um, get them on this podcast, and then I get to meet all these really cool, interesting people doing these interesting things. So, for no, if no other reason uh, to start a podcast, it's just an incredible way to um, meet the people that you you would like to meet. Um, and so, I'm I'm told that I do too many ums. Everybody, I'm working on it. I think that's that's pretty natural. Do I do more than usual? I'm getting in my head. Get out of your head, Shane. It's okay. Forgive yourself. Um, so, so that's the kind of thing that we're going to be promoting on, on the show, things that are going to be helping the podcast. I can't tell you the other ones just yet, but we are reaching out to, like I said, there's a list of people that I have in mind, things, products that I've even endorsed already for nothing on the show before. And, uh, so yeah, all, uh, all awesome, cool stuff. We're going to have a better sounding, higher quality podcast. I'm going to make a little money that's going to free up more time so I can dedicate myself more to this podcast so we can have episodes more regularly. I'm going to shoot for four regular ones every Monday and then an additional live one each month is the goal. That's the plan. And once I start having a little income from this and can not have to go around to do like that, there's a lot of amazing comedy clubs out there. And then there's some like really horrible ones that I have to do just for fun, just for uh, money. And I would rather just phase those out of my life and make more podcast episodes. So that's what this is all about. This is, this is, you know, I'll try to keep them short and entertaining and do things that I um, believe in. And so, uh, yeah, I, I appreciate all of your emails. <laughs> a lot of you are like, eh, you're silly. Why are you so in your head about sponsorship stuff? I don't know. You know, just like worried about selling out and doing all this. This is, I really, I absolutely love this podcast and it's, uh, it's just very, very important to me. I never thought I'd find anything that I liked as much as stand up comedy. And sometimes I feel like I like this podcast more than stand up comedy. And so, I I love that you guys are interested in it and are interested in um, in hearing what's going on in my life. I got a lot of feedback. People thought they were uh, people said they were really interested in hearing the things that I have going on, which that's cool to hear. I really appreciate the support. It warms my heart and it inspires me. So thank you guys so much and enjoy today's episode. Let's talk about sex. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. 
Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. We have a repeat guest joining me today. This is a person who many of you wrote and said that uh, you really liked her. And this is also one of my first guests back when I had uh, even less self-esteem and experience than I currently do. Survived anyway. Uh, I did. and uh, But I've been for some time wanting to get you back on so that the audience could hear everything that, uh, that you've been up to. Scientist and founder of Libros, Nicole, uh, Nicole Praz, everybody. Hey. Prazy. <laughs> Very nicely done. I, uh, you got it on the second always round. <laughs> screw up my intro. We're friends, too. Like, we hang out sometimes. Pretty and constantly. And, and, and I still... I'll figure out your name one of these days. <laughs> it's, it's, a, uh, it's a running it's joke cool, on the podcast Sean. that I cannot possibly get anyone's name right ever. <laughs> so the audience, uh, the audience loves it. So I, I was actually just doing that intentionally is what I tell myself. So, so let's get caught up. The last time, you're in a bit of a different position now than the last time we talked. Can you talk a little bit about that? Quite different. I was at UCLA at the time and had been promoted to associate scientist that I was going to be hanging out there for a while. And uh, a couple of things happened. We proposed an orgasm study on campus uh, that the ethics board decided we were not allowed to do. That's not a good sign <laughs> if you're a scientist. And then we received a grant that the school refused to accept the money for. So uh, at that point, you see the writing on the wall, say, okay, my contract end date's coming up and I see where this is going. So we created our own company, took the grant funds into the new company and did the orgasm protocol without them. Uh, well, orgasms are exceptionally taboo. I mean, I try to have as few as possible because they are a dirty, sinful thing. They so. watch your brain directly. <laughs> Inverse correlation with the frontal something important. Wait, what? Is that, is that someone that someone actually tries to say? <laughs> it's similar, not so dissimilar from some like anti-sex groups. Like they they almost use the language "rot your brain." It's like you could just replace you know a letter here and there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's. I mean, you're. It, it's it's amazing how much because I follow you on Twitter. What's your Twitter handle again, so people can check you out? Nicole R. Prowsey. Um, and you always. Uh, ha it's interesting to hear. I mean. Every every scientist has um, some troubles getting funding for a particular thing and blah blah blah. But mm -hmm. uh, but it is interesting to hear your ongoing struggle just because <laughs> you decided to study sex stuff, and a lot of people think that's either wrong or not important uh, yeah. to study this thing that is uh, one of the biggest parts of most people's lives. I think we all want more money, no doubt, but it's an extra level when you're in sex just because of exactly the kinds of issues. Like even when we got the money, we weren't allowed to receive it. <laughs> so, you know, that's not a typical problem that scientists have. Uh, normally, schools are very happy to take funding. So, uh, yeah, there are some unusual hurdles, barriers. Yeah. Um, what, what's your, uh, what, what, what is your take kind of now getting out of that? So now you can speak a little more freely about some of the frustrations, I imagine, <laughs> what, or, or I mean, whatever you're comfortable saying, but what, what is your take on why people are so scared of this <laughs> subject in general? Uh, I mean, I think there, there is in part, there's money and fear. So to say that sex is bad and evil and addictive and uh, then allows you to say, and I can treat it if you call this 900 number or if you pay for my package or my coaching or my blah, 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 
So if somebody's coming along and saying sex is great, what are you talking about? You know, this is it's not addictive, and it's you know has may help in this way and could help with that other thing. You're stepping on their business model. So I think not all of it, but a lot of it is monetary related. And then, of course, religious in this country is very atypical. Like you do not hit the kind of barriers we do, even just in Canada. It's much more progressive. So, yeah. Um, well, if you don't like it, get out. That's what. <laughs> yeah. Hey, <laughs> that's the that's the uh, new slogan. Not quite old, but we yeah, seen it in a no, while. seriously, post-election the next day sent to applications to Canada. Not kidding. <laughs> seriously, seriously considering because it's just, it's a bad climate here, yeah. not for science in general, but especially sex science right now. Yeah, yeah, there's it's been interesting to hear a number of guests uh, <laughs> complain about the recent changes in the academic climate. Um, His name been, shall not be spoken. <laughs> been, yeah, troubling. <laughs> this is not a political podcast. So we try <laughs> to make every attempt to not mention his name. And um, but uh, yeah, it's I mean, it's uh, it's it's disheartening as someone that um, cares enough about science to travel around doing this podcast and try to communicate these ideas to people to hear that because it's hard enough just trying to get the information out to people with no barriers, just trying to get people interested mm -hmm. and to hear the, all the barriers that you fa guys face, it seems. Yeah, I think the I mean, the politics are somewhat more direct in the sense of like, uh, I always give the example, I suddenly uh, found out there was a Republican senator, you know, they've been passing all these uh, porn as a public health hazard um, resolutions and trying to funnel money to some religious groups around the country with that and found out in part, you know, there's a Utah senator that was saying I was funded by pornography organizations and calling me all kinds of little sexist names on uh, publicly, you know, and it was like, ex what? <laughs> so, uh, a politician was, what? Oh yeah. This is, I mean, it's Todd Weiler. It's, we've got his recordings of him like directly saying publicly that I'm porn funded. And I was like, news to me, <laughs> but yeah, it's, um, you'd have a lot more money if you were porn, funded. you know, but you wouldn't. So this is, people don't seem to realize like the industry is at the same place music was, you know, they, because it's all publicly available now, you don't need to pay anymore unless you have very specific needs <laughs> you know, or desire um, ethical porn. So that industry has shut its major houses. There are only a couple left. Hmm. It is downhill. The performer pay has tanked. The director pay has tanked. I was at the ABN Awards years ago. Mm -hmm. My uh, my ex was hosting it, and um, nicely done. And she, yeah, she, uh, <laughs> <laughs> she was, uh, and sitting at the table listening to all of the talk. It was interesting because there was some, there was some industry people there, and mm -hmm. and there was a lot of talk about trying to find new avenues of basically the, the best way to make money off of or one of the new ways to make money off of porn is targeting um, mm -hmm. international uh, countries and an interna oh, international audience where where there's uh, where they can't just get free porn everywhere on the internet oh. and trying to sell and they them don't porn. know how to proxy yet I yeah I, I don't I, I didn't feel like have a conversation <laughs> with these people and discover yeah, the ins and outs of but it. it's interesting the it's an interesting myth outs of the porn business oh. come on I am such a better comedian than that, I swear. <laughs> they're just too easy it's too easy um, it, it, well it is I mean this is Another common theme that I see a lot of in the uh, in academia is 
the bias towards just negative thing uh, anything that where you can like diagnose a new yeah problem totally. is like there's just lots of money there and interest there yeah this is why i always joke because people are like oh you're profiting you're some way you're like manipulating this i was like are you nuts if i wanted to make money i'd be like it's addictive and it's the most addictive and it's the and i have a treatment you know <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. that would be what i was doing if i right. wanted to make money off this so yeah saying something is fine and not a problem is not lucrative i don't recommend it yeah it's uh huh it i i think i was overly optimistic about how where the world was turning because i've i mean <laughs> I, I remember when i was younger you'd see like church groups protesting like porn stores or whatever and mm -hmm. and it seemed like people were loosening up a little bit on that and lately it seemed like we're kind of going back to those days a little bit oh i don't know who maybe they never went away the yeah i always say like there's no advocate for porn <laughs> like there's there's no one that's like save the poor uh, never mind you know yeah. like no save the children save the hungry all that stuff is good and you should do that um but there's no great reason to advocate for a business you know so it's uh i just don't think they have defenders or this uh message in that way and i don't consider myself a porn defender especially i'm just like a scientist <laughs> yeah well but, i mean you're also but you are trying to it seems like you're trying to at least clear up some of the myths and, and get get rid of a little bit of the shame the underlying shame because yes. of these yeah, yeah. people out there um that are projecting this weird morality on uh yeah pretty natural activity <laughs> i think that does not seem to have decreased here. yeah and i don't know it's like the the content of the erotica may have changed over time we don't have good reads on that um but Maybe it's something related to that, like the porn might have gone away, except now we've got different access levels and more issues with kids getting access, which is true. You know, I mean, those things are happening and changing. So, uh, and the anime stuff, I mean, that's got to be rotten. The that's a not bit. even on my radar yet. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't done any anime studies. No. Bizarre. It's, it's like, super specific, man. Yeah, uh, I, I've never actually watched an anime porn in my to my knowledge, unless I accidentally <laughs> did. But I don't think that I've ever watched an anime porn. I think you'd remember. Um, it's it's. Uh, I remember reading. Uh, you know the book. Um, a billion wicked thoughts. Wicked thoughts. Yeah. yeah, they talked a little bit about it yeah. about anime and how everything's kind of exaggerated. It's so. pretty wild. <laughs> um. I uh so so you do a lot of a lot of stuff with kind of debunking the idea of um porn being addictive in the first place or being desensitizing mm -hmm. um can you talk a little bit I I know we explored this uh last time but it'll be good to do a recap and uh I I have some new thoughts on it too I think our basic uh idea is you know anytime you see a problem behavior and some people clearly watch more porn than they mean to there's no doubt about that some people are clearly going to counselors and saying help me stop and the question is when you see those folks why are they there like what is the underlying model of their behavior uh, that can help us understand how they got to be here uh, one of those models is an addiction model could be that they're addicted to it uh, another one could be a social shame model so they 
you know, actually have no problem with it. They just have been told by religion or parents or their spouse, whatever, that they're not supposed to. And so they just feel a lot of shame around very normal use. Uh, could be they just have high sex drive. They're just doing it too much. <laughs> and so they need to, you know, find a way to balance that. And there are other models as well, but those are some of the more common ones. So we basically tested different tenets of the addiction model specifically and just don't find evidence for a number of them. And the way models work, every prediction of that model has to be true or you reject the whole model. It's called falsification in science, very kind of basic uh, scientific principle. And, you know, so at this point, I think we've debunked or falsified four of the predictions of the addiction model. Uh, it's been replicated by other laboratories in each case. Um, so, you know, as far as we're concerned, it's definitely not addictive. I mean, there's so much falsification and you only need one, <laughs> but there are many. And so we need to be looking to other models to understand why people are having this trouble. Can you talk about the four aspects that, uh, that you've kind of debunked? So the biggest one is probably Q reactivity. Some people have called this again. Q reactivity, like C-U-E. So some people call that a, a biomarker of addiction. It's been so well documented in substance addictions. And in that case, uh, most people, when they see a cue, so like a picture of cocaine, if you have cocaine problems, or a picture of gambling, if you have gambling problems, um, your brain is more responsive to that cue if you have those problems. Your brain's like over-responsive a little bit, if you might think of it that way. So we had in a large group of controls and then people who said they had problems regulating their viewing of sex films. And we actually found the opposite pattern. That is the people who had these problems had lower responses to the sexual cues uh, than others did. And so that was probably the the biggest study we did in terms of impact because for whatever reason, people overvalue brain data. And <laughs> uh, so they thought that was a, a big well, deal. Well, it's such fancy technology. And that's the thing. You put these funny things up and you're like, why do people care so much about the brain? But they do. And so uh, most folks, if they know anything about our work, probably are familiar through media clickbait or something with that work. Um, so that was a pretty strong debunking, you know, with a really you know, large sample size, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, some of the other things are uh, like negative consequences. So people say the, uh, you know, you have to have negative consequences from your use and you can't just believe they're negative. Like there has to be some documentation that this stuff's happening, that it's not just in your imagination, uh, so to speak. And one of them people have cited as erectile dysfunction. So if you use porn too much, it's going to break your penis, uh, essentially, and make it so you can't respond to a partner anymore. Uh, or you, like you keep going through too many keyboards and you just can't yeah. keep up with it. Well, so this is the funny thing. You actually hit the nail on the head <laughs> because uh, this is what we keep laughing about. We're like, you realize what they're doing when they watch porn, right? Like they're not watching it with popcorn bowls or calling in their you know brother and dad to watch it with. This is not a movie experience. This is a facilitation of masturbation. Yeah, uh, almost every case. Uh, lots of studies. <laughs> I can't believe we have to document this. Yeah, but <laughs> it's like I was going to masturbate anyway, but I'd like to speed this process along. Uh, yeah, or like I had kind of a stressful day and I could use some help getting my brain, uh, you know, to kind of like thinking sexy thoughts because otherwise I'm just mad at my boss. Um, so I watch some porn and I'm like, all right, I'm good to go. You know, I masturbate with the porn. Maybe I turn it off partway through. Maybe I'm too involved when that video ends, <laughs> whatever happens. Um, and so people are masturbating when they're doing this. And that's, 
uh, you know, part of the point we've raised over and over and over again is no, none of these scientists are separating those effects. They're blaming the porn and saying, my God, you know, right after you watch porn, it's amazing. You can't get an erection anymore. I was like, wait, you mean right after you ejaculated, you can't get, I'm pretty sure that's called refractory period. You know, <laughs> like this is not the porn didn't break your dick. It's um, this common physical process. And so there's all this work that I think we could have done that was more interesting to understand, you know, when someone is watching porn, we don't know much about how they're using it. That is like when they say I view for three hours, what does that mean? You know, did you masturbate and have one orgasm in that time just right at the end? Did you have one orgasm at the beginning and then keep watching for some reason? And if so, why the hell were you doing that? <laughs> are you, you know, are you having like four orgasms during that three-hour period and we don't know anything about that our time would have been so much better spent understanding the behavior to relate it to the masturbation but people just have this weird blinder on about you know it's got to be the porn porn is evil it's got to be the porn well i mean also a lot of addictions i mean a lot of people would say that that yes this person was addicted to heroin or whatever it might be but there was also these these very severe underlying issues of like mm -hmm. past trauma or whatever it might be. And so if say, like you said, you can't stop thinking about how shitty your day was at work mm -hmm. and turning on the sex drive part of your brain helps you forget, then, you know, the, the worse your job is potentially, the, <laughs> the more you're, you're looking yeah. to activate that other region that's well, it's a fascinating point, too, because people have many publications now about how horrible it is that people self-regulate their emotions using porn and masturbation. I said, that sounds like a great use of masturbation. Like, is, is yeah. that not a primary function? Yeah, we're working so, too much, not masturbating yeah, enough, if like, you ask me, like, really? as a society. <laughs> so, so it cracks me up because it's just, you can see the scientist values just bleeding all over the page. You know, it's yeah. like oh my God, they've used porn to regulate their emotions. I was like, good on them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, well, it's also going back to like the treating thing as, it, as uh, like the uh, not seeing the refractory period. And uh, I mean, there is a lot of like out there of just like a lot of males very concerned about their boners and like yeah. wanting to have more boners and wondering mm -hmm. why they're not getting enough and like as strong of boners as they'd like to be having. And so that's like a lot of, uh, there, there's a, there's a big part of that. I, I mean, I was at the psychedelic science conference, um, full of, uh, researchers and enthusiasts and advocates <laughs> and everything in between. And, and just some passingly curious people and and you know there's booths set up everywhere with all these different products and and you know psychedelics are kind of billed as this thing that opens your mind or is really therapeutic or helps you explore yourself or bring out your inner world but i'm i was walking around and looking at all these different like little herbal healing booths and mm -hmm. and like prominently featured it was, it was like these things that like will increase your sex drive yeah. or whatever it's like I, yeah. I want enlightenment but first with my boner <laughs> like, once we get that out of the way then we can move forward to enlightenment well, but that, it's just such yeah. a hang up just within our our culture that's a way you can spin a lot of this stuff and i think uh what was concomitant with a lot of 
like people are being so worried about the internet and I've the never heard that word before can common like ha- they're happening at the same time mm-hmm. and difficult maybe to extract from one another is you know in 1998 Viagra came out and in the US we're allowed to advertise drugs directly to consumers so we had Bob Dole and you know many others but <laughs> right. uh, representatives at this point and now many different drug permutations uh, advertising to people telling them their penis is probably broken because right the best way to get more patients convince them they need it and guess what if you go and ask a urologist for it they don't test you like in at some point we used to send people home with ridges scans and like measure their penis at night they do that still sometimes but that's not like to get an ed drug they don't do that that's not a procedure you just walk that's done. You go, I'm not having enough bone. Yeah. Like, here you go. Yeah. And so, you know, I think it's funny that people are like, my God, since porn has come out, I was like, porn? We have had direct to consumer advertising for Viagra since 1998. Where do you think these concerns about boners are coming from? (laughs) It's been directly told to consumers that they have these problems and that, oh, you know, you two are affected. And even Bob Dole talks about it. I think this is a problem with a lot of pharmaceuticals with depression medication with the with you know things for say adhd where Mm -hmm. they can have a great deal of usefulness in particular people that have particular like severe issues and then they're just wildly over prescribed yeah i mean they're fantastic for ed like as therapists it's rare to see someone coming in for erectile dysfunction these days because the pills are very effective for helping folks but you know I, it's funny to me that we engage in a lot of magical thinking about the ill effects of technology and speculating about how the internet has broken our emotions rather than just saying, maybe it's just advertising. Yeah. Well, I mean, there are, when porn moves to the world of the internet, and the internet is like so good at getting us, um, you know, bringing us back. And there, so there's things like, um, I, I just found out Twitter does a thing where when you hit that at symbol, it like takes a second to load all of, you know, when someone mentioned you or retweeted you or whatever, mm-hmm. the, all the stuff you look for for validation. It's not because <laughs> the, it's not because the uh, uh, computer takes that long to load it. It's because it builds anticipation with having like a second. No. Or two second. Yeah. And I've uh, been fucked with. I know. I know. <laughs> I know, I feel it. Well, now, and then as we're having this conversation, I'm like, wait a second. If all my porn's buffering, does it really need to be buffering? <laughs> so there, I mean, to me, it's not outside of the realm of possibilities that there are some potential tricks that are being used mm-hmm. on the internet to keep people, you know, coming back and clicking more often. With porn, you wouldn't really need people like staying on there longer necessarily, but. Well, one of the things that surprised me, and I won't mention the specific company, but I went to talk to a very well-known uh, porn group at one point, uh, just talking to their data science folks to understand what they were doing to optimize and realizing their data science folks weren't actually data scientists and they had actually never done anything to optimize their site. And I was laughing. I said, what? <laughs> what do you mean? I was like, surely you've done some basic like A-B testing. And they're like, no, it's just always really gone on its own. It's like, that is nuts. What are you telling me? So I think people, uh, not that that's not happening, but I think that particular experience suggested to me, people are giving porn a lot more credit for that kind of technological trickery than I think they may have 
like taught themselves to use, you know, or had needed to use and ever. Uh, so it could be, you know, I don't certainly know all these companies. It's not my business, but that one experience, I was shocked that they were just like, no, we don't optimize. It was just, it's, it's always just kind of worked. <laughs> so huh. we leave it. Yeah. They, uh, yeah, if they were doing, if they were, if they were really putting, um, more money into porn if you wanted people to come back the first thing you'd want to do is get rid of like the adware viruses that come along with so many because that's like that's probably the number one thing deterring <laughs> many people from using yeah. porn more the crazy pop unders the things that appear uh, you know magically on your other you tabs need to fix your computer your now oh click this to fix it oh my god yeah Fool me i have times. no idea what you're talking about but <laughs> sounds terrible um so so did we cover all four? I think we covered the first two, the Q, and then there was the, what was the key? Uh, so the biomarker, negative consequences, uh, and regulation. So uh, people also have to be out of control in some fashion, right? That is, I don't want to take this drug anymore, and yet I feel compelled to. Uh, you know, I really have to pursue this. And so uh, in that case, uh, ourselves, another laboratory had people in and watch sexual films and looked at their sexual arousal. One of them did it with penile response, and then uh, we did it with just self-report. When we instructed them to you know, try and increase your response, try and decrease your response, in men, incidentally, self-report and uh, penile response are very tightly coupled. <laughs> so that was part of why we didn't go through the trouble. Um, but basically, the folks who said they had more problems with regulating their responses to films actually did the best at regulating their response to films. So again, it wasn't just a failure to find an effect. It was actually the reverse of what people were experiencing, which was interesting, right? Because that was kind of the basis on which they have these complaints. And it's like, well, if the complaints aren't accurate what are the clinicians doing? You know, are they doing anything to assess the accuracy and validity of their patients walking in the door? Probably not. They're just taking it face value. Well, they say they have trouble regulating. They must have trouble regulating and maybe not, you know, our data aren't consistent with that. Yeah. I mean, it seems like life is really far too nuanced to be blaming <laughs> sex addiction for uh so many things or porn addiction i mean I, I was talking with a friend recently who um who was felt like he was having some kind of compulsive mm -hmm. sexual behavior and but as we were talking and like talking for a while it seemed like more of the issue was some self-esteem issues where they were like worrying about aging so yeah and then it turned out like you know when he uh would you know have have sex with some young hot woman who would like mm. feel like a king and uh -huh. you know and was like worried about that going away and oh so you're so hot oh it, your penis is so big yeah, yeah yeah and that's i mean and that's men and women are often like validation is a is a big mm -hmm. part of so so just to say like sex that's the it's not the same as having um where like like ejaculation is this reward system mm -hmm. and just being addicted to that feeling that reward there's just far more to it than than uh, like whereas whereas cocaine is a little more straightforward <laughs> yeah it, it, i mean there are lots of differences of course with like substance and behavioral addictions broadly so you know a substance occupies receptors much more effectively than any endogenous or behavior can that's why you can overdose and die <laughs> this right. is you know you you cannot i'm going to 
make sure this is safe to say. You, I don't think you can masturbate enough to kill yourself. <laughs> I'm just thinking through that one. I'm that'll pretty sure a, that can happen. That'll be amazing. Prove me wrong. <laughs> uh, Reading the obituaries. <laughs> so, right. I mean, that's an extreme example, of course, but these are also very different reinforcers. You know, it's, um, I always say porn is like a point system with kids. You know, it's like porn is not the reward. You're sitting there watching porn while you masturbate and get the sexual arousal and get the orgasm. But the porn doesn't do that. You have to do stuff to get it still. So it's a sign for something to, to come. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry. You're better than that. <laughs> no, nah, we don't need to be better than that. <laughs> so Why not take a cheap pun when you can? I, it's, it's this no is the one it. pleasure we get yeah. in my business. I have to sit and listen to people <laughs> masturbate all day when I don't get to masturbate. So I'm taking the pun. Um, <laughs> you have to listen to it? Yes, we're recording the audio. Oh. <laughs> I wasn't kidding. That's amazing. So, <laughs> uh, so uh, wh why are you recording the audio? So we're doing a partnered study where uh, one person is stimulating the genitalia of the other manually, uh, so with their hand. And uh, part of what we're monitoring, of course, is both their brain Is responses. the boredom? <laughs> oh my god please can we switch how about now how about now so uh we want to understand uh the brain effects that we see what might drive those so if they start to become more similar over time we give them 15 minutes to stimulate each other um excuse me one directional i should make clear but to stimulate the person mm -hmm. Uh, if their brains become more similar over time, why? You know, how did they do something to achieve that? So we're monitoring their vocals in part to see if like the panting kind of squeaky girl stuff might help synchronize the brains. Or we're also monitoring his forearm. So to see if the frequency, speed, pressure with which he's stroking might be synchronizing the brains to try and understand those interactions. Hmm. I wonder if people are toning down their... Right? <laughs> because... <laughs> If I were, like, normally when I come, I go, yippee, but I might be a little <laughs> too embarrassed to do that, knowing that it's actually being recorded. Right. So this was, when we first started doing orgasm research, we talked to the one other guy we knew who had done it in England, and we said, is sound going to be a problem? Because we're testing right near some kitty labs, and we can't have these people yelling and, like, frightening the children. <laughs> and not kidding, they were right next door. And he's like, no, 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 it's not. They become very conservative in the way you would think. And so we're like, sweet. We'll just run them whenever. First one screamed, and we're like, okay, this is not good. <laughs> but maybe it's an outlier, right? Let's try another one. And we're like, we, we can't run during the day. So we ended up having to run the entire study late at night uh, on University of Pittsburgh campus. Your dirty sex studies We at night. literally had to do our dirty sex studies <laughs> at night when the kids weren't there uh, to be sure we weren't causing trauma uh, right. by introducing the possibility of sexual pleasure into their young lives. Sure. Well... It might be a little distracting <laughs> from, from learning the alphabet. <laughs> I, yeah, in fairness, of course, we just don't want to interfere with other studies, but right. it's more fun to tell it that way. <laughs> um, so what about uh, what about desensitiz uh, uh, desensitization? And um, I mean, just in general, what, what work are you doing in that uh, field? Either desensitizing stuff? Or, yeah, in, in, in terms of... Does porn desensitize your sex drive, or is there 
Have you collected data or studied that? Um, not in a direct test kind of way. So like one thing you might want to do in that case is have somebody, someone masturbating uh, and have them like watching porn. Then the porn turns off. So they're just left with fantasy and then the porn turns back on and then just fan it, blah, 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 back and forth. That'd be a great demonstration. Um, we haven't done that kind of work. Um, but one of the things uh, we are trying to bridge to is you know, because porn is a, the secondary reinforcer, so right, you view the porn, but if you're not masturbating, if you're not having sex, what's that get you? Probably nothing. You'll turn the porn off soon because how amusing is it to just sit and watch porn? Yeah, I I just got distracted for a second because you came in and you're like, oh, you're going to sit on the same thing that people masturbate on? And I'm like, ha, ha, ha. And I'm like, ah, I am, I'm sitting on it. Yeah, that I? could be a real thing here. <laughs> <laughs> we cover it with sheets and stuff most of the time. <laughs> that monitor's right there. There's a reason why. I mean, I think that, uh, I think that, desensitization could be a thing i mean don't we get desensitized to everything in life and i mean money and like most everything else yeah so there have been studies where if you show someone the same porno over and over and over again they become less responsive to it each time so don't watch the same porn over and over and over again uh but let's try and generalize a little so let's say you're watching different stuff can the porn watching in general desensitize you for other things like being intimate with a partner is usually people's main question. Um, so this harkens back, of course, to old vibrator scares because we had the same concern in the 1960s that you know we weren't going to need men anymore because women were going to be addicted to their vibrators. I'm still a little worried about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and so here's the thing: like there is temporary downregulation of these mechanoreceptors when you vibrate your vulva, uh, it becomes less sensitive for at least some period afterwards. Uh, is there some possibility that it's extended a little beyond that if you do it repeatedly? No one's ever tested that. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if there's some. But the question is, does it then never come back? And that's never been demonstrated. So uh, I think we're running into something similar with porn where people are like, but, you know, I'm used to doing this. Or I'm used to doing that. I was like, I totally believe you, you know, that you were single for a long time. You were whacking off to porn and now you have a partner and you're like, I'm having trouble making that transition. Yeah, I don't think you're magically addicted or reprogrammed to porn. I think you just have a new partner (laughs) and you're adjusting to like, I now have a vagina access and what does that look like? And you have to like, you're trying to do a good job and then you're in your head. So many different Like if I I can't get it up while watching porn, there's not someone there that I'm disappointing other than (laughs) myself. (laughs) And your chatterbait partner. Yeah. Um, So... I mean, anecdotally, I've I've had uh, I've had a relationship where the girl um, before and during our relationship was I'm I'm on the road all the time and would mm-hmm. always use a vibrator mm-hmm. um, and felt like she was maybe being desensitized to stop using it mm-hmm. and then it seemed like it improved our sex yeah, yeah. life afterwards. That's like one story, you know. That's the thing. I don't. Uh, I think part of what I get concerned about is the um, the kind of disease model uh, permanence that people are arguing for. That is, if you don't do something about this, you will be permanently broken. You know, that you are, uh, have done something to break yourself. And I don't doubt that you get used to one pattern of stimulation or another um, that you may need some time to transition out of. I just don't have the panic around it. I think that's in the same way if you had one partner 
you know, who's a jackhammer, and that, that's how they have sex, and you can only yeah, give them so much feedback. As hard as you can. Yeah, and, yeah, and then you get a new partner that's very different in bed. You need to reprogram a little bit and get used to that new par- type of stimulation and communicating with them differently. And so I question the extent to which uh, getting used to different stimulation is a problem. Uh, you know. Yeah, I mean, well, if I start opening doors with my left hand or writing with my yeah. left hand, it's going yeah. to be really awkward at first. Yep. But my brain is placid, and and figure that shit uh, out. And yeah, it'll <laughs> it'll rewire en- enough to uh, mm-hmm. to figure it out, and it'll build those habits, and then it will be my dominant hand eventually. Um, sex doesn't seem all that different. Yeah, so I think part of what um, you know we're trying to communicate is not that you know there's never any transition to be made or adjustments or things that might be helpful. But porn is really, really different from being with a partner. And there's not um, any expectation that just by having viewed that or even having viewed it for a time, that it's going to permanently impact your ability to be, you know, with another human being. It's like the, you know, the very base, it's just that's a secondary reinforcer, a human is a primary reinforcer, those are completely separable in the brain. Um, You know, many studies showing this, ours included, so there's no reason to think it's like, oh, I've got this network that's now programmed to, you know, do Susie does 50 guy, blah, blah, blah. That, that doesn't happen. You know, it's not uh, going to prevent you from making the transition back. There's no reason to think that happens. Uh, but I understand the concern and the panic because I think especially, you know, it's a lot of these young men um, who knows how many are you know, responding to some of the ads that are thinking, my penis must work 100% all the time. But occasionally we would get these patients when I was at the Kinsey Institute and still seeing patients uh, who would come in and say, I have erectile dysfunction and say, well, tell me about it. And you'd find out, you know, they had one failure with their girlfriend the night before and they completely freaked out because they thought they had erectile dysfunction and that's not erectile dysfunction. (laughs) So you wonder to what extent, like there's just not good information sometimes. And there, there is a tremendous amount of panic around sexual functioning. So, um, I'm sympathetic to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I mean, it's yeah. something that I think lots of people experience. I know Zero I failure have, acceptable. Yeah, yeah. Um, it goes the other way sometimes, too, where you get a little overly excited, and that can also be embarrassing. <laughs> sex is a complicated thing. Um, I mean, the thing that seems hard to study about sex is the variety of environments because if i were to have sex with my girlfriend um tonight she's coming in if we are going to like go and i'm crashing with a buddy right now in his spare bedroom so we're probably going to go and have sex in his spare bedroom sorry friend um (laughs) but if we were instead to have sex in a um public bathroom at a restaurant or something Mm -hmm. like that that would be a very different experience you know and there would be a lot more kind of mentally at play and um and so and then have you ever are there any studies with like the level of risk um relating to um the kind of quality of orgasms or increased sexual pleasure uh i don't know about orgasm quality but people definitely talk about risk as feeling so the idea that it's going to heighten the experience or stoke the fire there are some classic old studies of uh you may have heard the old roller coaster study so if you 
stand outside of a roller coaster and watch the girls come off, you got a lot better chance if you ask them out uh, at that point because their heart is already racing and they may misinterpret that arousal, it's called misattribution of arousal, uh, to being attracted to you. Ah. So ask them on the bridge, ask them after the roller coaster, got a much better chance. Well, uh, I now have a lot more listeners attending amusement parks this, <laughs> this anything that Anything to scare the shit out of them. Huh. Um, yeah, I mean, it seems to, like, uh, I've, <laughs> um, I've had, uh, whatever. I, I'm always like, how much of myself should I share? <laughs> but, <laughs> but. I've, I've I've had unprotected sex with a stranger before, and the level of excitement yep. uh, is fucking crazy. Yep. Um, and and it's it, even even if the person is say um, less attractive than uh, like the per than when I'm in another time in a relationship mm-hmm. with a person who's very much more attractive, you know, and and so there's there's something there. But that's also, uh, it's my understanding that stress um, can both, uh, like the stress response can inhibit the ability to be aroused, but it's also a big part of the actual uh, orgasm. Um, and so a lot, a lot of stress can, um, can lead to both uh, erectile dysfunction and then premature ejaculation as well so you're just if you're stressed you're you're Mm -hmm. screwed in both regards and um but it it makes me wonder if if like part of that stress response um when it comes to finishing makes it that just that much more intense when you're in a like i shouldn't be doing this right now Mm -hmm. i don't know yeah, sexual arousal is an interesting thing. So when you're in a sexually aroused state, you know we've studied like how much more risk averse or risk prone you become just in general. Uh, but then also uh, there are labs that look at disgust sensitivity. Uh, so I thought some really interesting work around uh, you know you're, you basically can tolerate more disgust when you're sexually aroused, uh, which I always say is the Sunday morning effect. You know you wake up and you're like who is this next to me and why are they hideous? Yeah. Right, <laughs> because right. when you aroused last night and possibly also drunk, but not even considering that just the sexual arousal, um, you know, changes kind of how we understand the risks we're taking at the time or the stimuli we're responding to. And, uh, you know, in many respects, we found uh, comparing responses, not just our lab, but others, uh, like when you're intoxicated, uh, the main thing that shifts your kind of sexual behaviors is not the alcohol. It's the alcohol's effect on your sexual arousal. So to the extent that it makes you feel hornier, uh, that really seems to be what's causing the problem that, you know, if you drink enough that you can't do anything, <laughs> you're in a pretty safe space. Right, um, right. But if you drink enough to loosen up and you're already, I mean, a lot of times if if you're single and going out to a bar, you might have your eye out anyway and you have this prefrontal cortex getting in the way of you making a move on somebody or whatever and to shut that down seems like. Well, so that's the question is like with alcohol, is it really just a disinhibitor? And so there's a series of uh, studies that have suggested it's more of an amplifier. So if at baseline, you're kind of more likely to pursue something sexual anyway, you have a little higher libido. Uh, that drinking will enhance that. And that's most people, right? Most people like sex. That's a good thing. They'll pursue that. 
However, there's a subset of folks who are already very conservative. Like they, uh, they're very worried about HIV, like unreasonably worried about HIV. You should be worried, but right. <laughs> unreasonably worried about their risk. And like when people they, are unreasonably worried about shark attacks. Yes, yeah. yeah. And so they drink, and they actually become more likely to say they'll use condoms, or they become less likely to have sex. Mm. So that's an amplifier effect. Ah. And so that's part of what people have studied: is like, is alcohol really just a general disinhibitor, or is there evidence that it is causing some myopia? You know, where you focus on the things that are most salient to your personal brain before you started ah. drinking. Yeah, I'm an exceptionally <laughs> reckless person normally, and then when I drink, I just, become more reckless. Yeah. But I so I always just like, oh, alcohol makes you more reckless. Yeah. But no, no, I'm just a dick really at baseline, reckless, dick at drunk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, that's really interesting because I def- definitely used to be much more of a dick too, and I was like, <laughs> that was when I would get into fights and stuff while drinking. And now that's even if I'm blackout drunk, people are like. You were really, really nice. <laughs> but, He's such uh, a friendly drunk. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Um, so, what what are you uh, what are you working on now, or what do you want to work on um, soon that uh, that you're kind of excited about? We are doing a lot of partnered research now with an eye towards establishing positive health benefits of sexual stimulation for general health. Can you go more into depth? Yes, yeah. that's elevator. The <laughs> so we have uh, done things like recording people masturbating uh, through to their orgasm to look at what aspect of that flow is really rewarding or is reinforcing the behavior. Also trying to understand how people get there or fail to get there because we still don't know how orgasm is triggered. And then when they get there, uh, what does that do to their emotional responsiveness? So taking some very standard kind of neuroscience tasks to characterize what their brain was responding to before orgasm versus after orgasm. Uh, Similar things for partner genital stimulation. So that protocol I mentioned before, we have people do a very standard neuroscience task looking at uh, happy and sad and gross images. We have them stroke each other. Then they go look at those images again. And we try and understand what has shifted about their brain. Um, they're not just zoned out, <laughs> you know, that, uh, that there may be some very specific uh, effects. Uh, so, for example, uh, you know, the easy example may be uh, with depression, one of the things people often experience is, you know, they know when things are nice or pleasant or happy. They observe them. They say, yes, I should feel happy to this. And they, for a split second, might until their ventromedial prefrontal cortex says, fuck you. No, you don't. Remember, you're depressed. We can't enjoy this. And they shut it down. Sexual stimulation may uh, reduce the brain's ability to do that and could then then have some antidepressant effects. So part of what we hope to document is what is the nature of the emotional impact? So, uh, you know, the obviously the first time you see pictures, when you see them again, you should respond less to them. So if we show you these uh, fun pictures again, so like skydiving and bunnies and these kind of cute things, If you respond to them even more after you've masturbated or even more after a partner has stroked your genitals, that's pretty good evidence that you didn't habituate like you should have. You became more responsive. And could we use genital stimulation or ejaculation in place of antidepressants? Oh, my God. If I've been (laughs) suffering with 20 years of chronic anhedonia and I could have just been jerking off more... 
Uh, well, it's worth a shot. I'll see. I'll report back and <laughs> see how it goes. So this is the question, of course. Like in depression treatments for a long time, people have always recommended don't masturbate because it's seen as socially isolating. And it's so important to like have that social support. It's a great predictor of you know positive outcomes in depression over time. I totally hear that concern, but we could be wrong. Yeah. Or circle jerks, maybe the best of both worlds. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Next study. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, this is, um, you know, not that we're going to replace antidepressants tomorrow, but there are some people who may not have access to them. You know, it could be an expense issue, could be a shame issue. Um, There's a lot of people that antidepressants simply aren't going to work for them, or certainly particular antidepressants aren't. And yeah, yeah, side effect concerns are a big concern. Mainly, yeah, main reason for quitting is sexual side effects anyway. Right. It's it's a little crazy, but um, so, you know, I don't think we can go and say, oh, just masturbate until you feel happy. You know, it's part of understanding, okay, if it can do this, how do you administer something like that? Do you need to have an orgasm to have this effect? Is arousal enough? Is it better if it's partnered? Uh, mm. Do you see the same effect solo and partnered? So it's we're really, really beginning stage of trying to see, uh, you know, how we can use the body's natural response to do that. Uh, so easier examples might be things like, uh, you know, a lot of people use masturbation to help them sleep at night, but that's never been documented to work in humans. There's not one study showing its efficacy in humans. Really? Yeah. I looked like hell. I couldn't find any evidence for it. And I huh. thought this is nuts because I've been... I've repeated that before. Like I had mistakenly assumed there has to be evidence and there are animal models that support this, but how hard would it be to do the damn study and see like, if you want, if you don't want to take sleeping pills and you don't have like, you know, maybe you have trouble sleeping two or three times a week. When do you do, how do you do that? Do you need to have an orgasm? Do you need to do it in bed as you're lying there trying to sleep? Do you do it 30 minutes before bed? Do you, like, how, do, how should that work? What should that look like? And I think, you know, these to me are much more interesting questions than, you know, what I, I had worked on in the past, what I think a lot of my field works on. That's like, how do you have a bigger orgasm? How do you have a more with your partner? I don't care. <laughs> like, yeah. I really, at some level, it's fine. You know, like, go ahead and go down that Cosmo bunny hole. But uh, I got, I feel like I got bigger fish to fry now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like... There are real things that your body can endogenously generate that we should be taking advantage of, that they're safe and they're free and right. let's stop having our hangups and figure this shit out. I had this thought yesterday. I was in a, uh, I was in a float tank, a sensory deprivation yeah, tank, yeah. and I do, um, I do a fair amount of psychedelics and I have done, a, I've, I've done some doses that are just pretty, pretty reckless, uh, you know, try, trying to get to, uh, you know, whatever I'm try, trying to explore these inner worlds. And I did a float tank yesterday and, and it granted, this is like my 12th one. Um, so I've had practice doing it, but the experience was more intense than most of my psychedelic trips. Hmm. And I was like, oh, I could have just been floating, floating in water. <laughs> <laughs> And and huh. not putting myself in dangerous, potentially dangerous situations. Yeah. It sounds the same. Well, so I had, um, um, and I'm going to be biased here because this is like uh, this, this this of course. Uh, but there's a scientist, Robert Sapolsky, who mm-hmm. I who I uh, yeah, worship. Great Depression. And uh, yeah, he does and a lot of stress stuff. And mm-hmm. he, I don't know if he talked about it on the episode because I never listen back to my episodes because I hate my voice. But um, <laughs> but uh, he said that, at least in his books, he's talked about how 
um, potentially because there's this uh, parasympathetic after sex response you have uh, the the orgasm comes along with this this stress response and then the oh, parasympathetic he doesn't know that uh, uh, well uh, th- th- this is uh, <laughs> okay sorry i'm, I, I'm, ruining I'm the story. saying he probably uh, uh, he, i'm sure he's speculating wildly or whatever else but but he because the parasympathetic response takes a little longer in females he was using that to like maybe that's why guys are falling asleep right away and women are like wanting to chat a lot right <laughs> afterwards so it's you can tell me my hero is wrong I'm, I'm sure he's happy to know that uh well so we have suspicions right we know one of the things that shifts with orgasm is vasopressin not clear to what extent that's in the brain but at least it shifts in cerebral spinal fluid and if you inject rodents with vasopressin they start yawning like crazy it's very cute you should watch the video on youtube um so, you know, likely some connection there. It's not certain because no one's ever isolated it for humans that I've seen. But And that's per- uh, p- um, potentially the real, like, bonding. That's when they talk about the voles. And uh, the that's voles oxytocin, and the, I think. I so think vasopressin that. tends to vacillate with oxytocin, yeah, but they're separable. I think it's vasopressin. Um, that oh, the, is what they say with the voles, and then I think they say like the one vole that's monogamous mm-hmm. and the other that isn't, and then they switch them and, and give one of them vasopressin, and all of a sudden they're monogamous when they weren't before. And the, it, hmm. but uh, I would be surprised if it's not vasopressin. <laughs> I'm wrong right now, uh, but not shocked. Um, but and, and that's that's also supposed to. It's my understanding that they they find higher levels of it in humans that seem to do more pair bonding than other be OT, people man. it's gotta be ot you think so Vaso okay. is some well look i mean uh, i'm uh, you're extent. the scientist i'm not, uh, uh, i uh we all punt sometimes i know it's uh i know <laughs> this one this one is this one i'm like no i'm pretty sure i'm right on this one but <laughs> this, this is good i normally don't get to have this feeling when talking with that, with that so I, yeah the so i i i interrupted for no reason why don't you just no, go on about so the whatever the mechanism is you know that uh many many things happen with uh high sex stri- high sexual arousal and orgasm no one's done good work to separate those two so to know to what extent you know you need an orgasm to see some of these shifts how much does it really add you know are you releasing that much more of this or that chemical to have an orgasm um but you know we have data now looking at women's orgasm and finding a lot of times women are reporting orgasm when they're not actually having it and from a physiological perspective and by the way um by the way listeners uh i already said this at the start of the show in the intro but i I recommend going back and hearing more about that in the last episode that we did so that could exactly be part of the distinction is if we think oh women they respond differently to orgasm i say well you sure they're having like the same response i'm not anymore Uh, so i'd raise that question again just you know is this really uh, a gender difference or if we made sure those women were having the same experience there the quote-unquote gender difference would disappear so all of this stuff I think this is a I always like to ask this of scientists but this is a field where I think uh, you'll have a lot of good answers for Um, I always am interested how do you think your research and the things that you've learned how do you think that um, people can apply them to their lives things that you've found that, that you're like oh this is 
this is probably different definitely a thing that will once you know this it will help improve your sex life or relationships or at least make you more at ease with your uh with yourself your stuff yeah. <laughs> oh yeah what are good like if 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 some if you wish or if you could grant a wish and like everyone in the world could know this particular thing about your research to kind of, if you think everyone would be benefited from this particular um, piece of knowledge. Am uh, I putting you on the spot too much with no, that? No, I can give a shot. I mean, I think there are many things that we attribute to to gender or to porn or our the status of our relationship that... Uh, really are just related to sexual motivation changes. And so, for example, you know, we think things are different between men and women, but if you look at high-desire men and match them with high-desire women, all of a sudden the differences are gone. Uh, similarly with porn, you know, people who watch more porn hold on to your seats, but they have higher sex drive. You know, we need to keep that in mind and trying to understand why people are watching more. And, you know, the fact that people differ in this is not uh, anything magical. You know, it's uh, probably reflects drive, just like some people have drives for different types of food um, and other pleasurable activities. And so maybe just keeping in mind that you know, there's a lot of magical thinking that goes into sex, you know, that men are from Mars, women are from Venus, or things must be, de men are more visual. Not true. <laughs> so uh, just thinking at a very basic level, like how... Uh, can sex drive just simple parsimony explain, you know, the experiences that I'm having? And is it okay for me to need, you know, more sex than I'm getting in my relationship? Okay, well, I have higher drive. So let's address it as a higher drive issue rather than, you know, and I'm a porn addict or you're a cold bitch right. kind of dynamic. Like, no, you have a sex drive difference. So how do we resolve that? Yeah, I mean, I'm... I'm I had uh, I have this one friend who's um, I've just known him to be a very exceptionally horny person the entire mm -hmm. time that I've known him and he's and he's married and he's complaining about uh, how infrequently she liked to have sex and then uh, after a while I was like well how how frequent is it and he's like well we only have time uh, sex like four times a week I hate you like four times a <laughs> week that's uh, that's for a married couple that seems like definitely a solid amount of, of sex mm -hmm. and he's like oh yeah that's what she keeps on telling me that she's the normal one and i'm the but if he were with someone that was at his same level there wouldn't be those yeah. discrepancies what is with this normal shit right so right. i'm normal you're not normal this is part of the dynamic that just has to go like right. people vary yeah suck it up <laughs> yeah all right well that's uh, that's wonderful uh, everybody be uh i think just be comfortable with your own thing and uh, hopefully find someone else that that is also into it and i think that if it, i mean i think everyone's gonna have uh sexual differences with their partners and people Content, that they're hooking fetish, up with how, how could nature, they not oh, yeah. to find like the person that's into the exact same things that you are then you'll seems, hate them for their spending habits you know, <laughs> right so. right um, well, yeah, well, that's cool. Um, uh, well, I'm I'm so excited you I, you came on. Is there any if people want to learn a little bit more about your work? Um, is there somewhere where we can point them? Uh, other than the Twitters, that'd be our LibrosCenter.com. It's where we hang out online. 
All right, awesome. And maybe you can even apply to come and um, masturbate in the place that I'm sitting on we right now. We actually could use some volunteers for that right now. I'm not kidding. Really? <laughs> I bet we'll get some listeners. Like <laughs> that'll be <laughs> that'll be down. I I might be down for a study sometime. I think that would be interesting. You heard it here. <laughs> now you're gonna hold me to it. <laughs> um, all right. Well, uh, well, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for coming back around. It's fun. Yeah. And thank you listeners for being awesome and curious. All right, Nicole, the charity of the week. ACLU. ACLU. Coming up next week, guys, a real special episode. I, I say that a lot, but this is, I mean, this is really cool. Wait till you hear about this. This is a, a new friend of mine, Eric Osborne, who's a mycologist, a specialist with mushrooms all sorts of mushrooms, including psychedelic mushrooms. And he's going to be on talking about mushrooms, and we're going to be sharing some of our therapeutic benefits. I'm always really reserved about doing psychedelic episodes. I want to be very careful about like how we approach it and make sure that I'm presenting you know, legit, reasonable information, and I, I can sometimes be a little evangelical. I think if you guys have seen my, my live show, A Good Trip, you'd uh, agree that I have a pretty uh, balanced... Um, argument and approach to it. I don't think that they're right for everybody. They are mushrooms. I like the best thing that uh, have happened to, to me. But when I say things like that, I'm really overselling it because for everybody, that's a, a different thing. Different people respond differently. So they definitely aren't for everybody. I mean, DMT has been absolutely fascinating, but but mushrooms have been incredibly therapeutic. And that's kind of what we're going to be talking about. But this is what's really exciting. So he has this company, Myco Meditations, M-Y-C-O Meditations.com. And we're actually, this is one of the many kind of things that I've been working on, trying to put together cool, interesting things that we can all be involved in. So I'm actually going to be at one of these retreats in Jamaica. Um, they are legal psilocybin mushrooms are legal in jamaica and so there is a retreat from november 26th to december 5th and it's going to be me and um psychedelic researcher Catherine mclean uh, and um we're going to be um we're going to be helping um, trips it. I'm going to be doing mushrooms. It's There's only 20 seats available. There's probably not that many anymore, but um, you get to hang out with me and my girlfriend for uh, about 10 days. Um, if you check this out, it's a little spendy, um, but it, uh, it includes... Um, I forget exactly how much it is. It's it, there, There's a price range, um, but it's, it's going to run you at least... um, up to depending on, um, you know, if you want your own private room and blah, blah, blah. It's at this retreat. You get, um, it comes with um, a a massage with, uh, uh, for like a wellness massage, but it also comes all of the, uh, all of the food and everything is all, it's all inclusive. So it's really not that much, um, you know, two to four hundred dollars a day um you do have to cover your airfare but if in the application you mention the here we are podcast or me shane moss and you say this is where you hear it from um then you get a hundred dollars off and a bottle of um the amanita muscaria it's horribly toxic mushroom that has been detoxified 
professionally by Eric Osborne. We're going to be talking a little bit about that as well. And it's legal. You'll be able to take it home with you. It's really, it's really mild. It's different. It's not like psilocybin um, at all. But uh, but you'll get to hear more about that um, coming up next week. So stay tuned for that. Thank you very much to Laughable, my partner Laughable. If you guys don't have the Laughable app, check it out. Then you can subscribe to me, your hero, Shane Moss, and you can know that I was just on the great and powerful Duncan Trussell's podcast, and we had an amazing, amazing podcast uh, that ended with... uh, I don't want to spoil it. You should, you should, you should go and listen to it if you've never heard the Duncan Truck uh, Trussell podcast. Duncan is like, he's a madman, awesome, super bright, super uh, like just he's. I don't know how do you describe Duncan. He is quite a character, and he's one of my uh, favorite new people in the whole wide world. And I've been on his podcast a few times now. Um, check that out. And coming up soon, I will be on a brand new podcast coming out um, with Jessime Peluso, and she has a podcast called. Um, uh, hilarious and uh jesse may is one of my um she's she's so so funny i was on her old podcast i forget the name of it sorry but um but this what we did was we went and i took her to um so you get high on her podcast i took her to a place called just float a float tank place in pasadena i've, I've had um jim on before and by the way, you don't tell people uh, if you go and float that you're doing a little bit of weed. But we had, I had one of, I I had a tiny edible and went for a float, and it was one. It was more powerful than many many trips that I've had. Um, and I I normally I'm not a big marijuana person at all, and psychedelics are very different than marijuana, and. But this was like a very psychedelic experience, and it was incredible. So thanks to Just Float for that. They're not paying me to say that, or I won't be able to talk about weed. Um, I just it's it's the uh, the gold standard in um, in float floating. They're amazing. Um, but go float. There's there's float tanks all over the place. Um, if you're having trouble meditating, can be really hard. Um, floating the first time can be a little weird. Uh, at least it wasn't my experience. I enjoyed it. But it's taken me some time to um, kind of get more out of it. So I recommend it. I mean, just think about it. A lot of times these places have like a half price discount or something. Um, and I mean, every time I do it, and I, I come out like rejuvenated, excited about life, which I mean, that's it's hard for me to be excited about life sometimes. That's just you, you've, you know, I, I have uh, I have uh, I, I can be very like numb um, sometimes. I've talked about this on the podcast before. Um, I don't like feel sorry for myself about it. It's just a thing. It's a thing that I have. And uh, and floating really. Not only have I had float sessions where I come up with like incredible material and solve some some really uh, interest. I've come up with some novel solutions to some problems um, that I'm dealing with, or you know, just like 
trying to figure out how to pull off some sort of a new show like for example this is really exciting guys i'm trying to put together this dmt talk thing and i've been i've been uh getting together with a bunch of different psychedelic artists so i can potentially do a thing where where there's animation included um i'm i'm trying to have some of my dmt trip stories animated by some genius artists um that i've connected with um we're planning on doing some vr demos in the future and it's going to be really really cool maybe even eventually having some kind of dmt inspired musicians and and make it like kind of a longer um thing like a, a I, I don't I don't know exactly what yet, but I'm I'm going to be uh, stay tuned for that because I think in August I'm going to start really ramping it up and experimenting with um, with putting together the first little semblances of this show so that um, I can hopefully a good trip will be a special on some big platform so everyone can see it and then i can go around with this um, dmt talk that i've been doing as well as a complimentary kind of part two to a good trip and so those are the many things that i'm like working on and trying to figure out all the time i go in and float and i always like oh that's how i pull that off that's how i figure out like the marketing idea or you know uh just things like that so this is no no float company is is um is paying me to say that i do get thrown free floats sometimes from various places all over the place um but that's just because i talk about them and um favorably and uh so i would i would check out this uh podcast hilarious that will it so that's coming out in like mid-july so if you look for it right now you're not going to have it, but if you're subscribing to me on Laughable, then it pops right up, and then you go, oh, this is the one that Shane mentioned, and you can listen to it. Jesse May had, like, a life-changing experience. It was, like, it was incredible. I'd never, I'd never floated on a little bit of, um, on a little bit of marijuana before, and it was, whoo! I would, I would go in sober for the first time, for sure, but, uh, honestly, a little bit of an edible, I, I would, uh, I I can't recommend <laughs> can't recommend it enough. Again, not for everybody, but um, if it's legal in your state and you're very careful, blah blah blah. So anyhow, t- tune in um, next week and we get to hear about magic mushrooms and this legal Jamaica mushroom retreat where you get four trips over ten days and it's going to be awesome. And we're really looking for the reason why I want to. Um, plug it with you guys is because you guys have more of kind of a science orientation that's why you're listening to the show what we're hoping is that um i i don't like the idea of of shamans i like trip sitting not guiding um and so sorry shamans that are friends of mine i do think that for some people that's exactly what they need but for me i like to hear what other people's takes on it are so it would be really cool to have you know, some kind of really thoughtful, science-minded people down there that experienced and experienced whatever. Um, so that's that's going to be coming up at the end of, just after Thanksgiving, November 26th to December 5th. So tune in next week to hear more about that. Those of you that listen all the way to the end, you are my favorite. Let's say uh, Seinfeld was on an island, and he was blowing Boris Karloff. 
What would it, what would that be like? <laughs> it might go something like this. Oh, Mr. Koff, I loved you and Frankenstein, and I love giving you a blowjob. Why, Mr. Seinfeld, I'd love having you 